stay with him, but to go and tell others uh, about what the Lord had done and to tell others about the mercy of the Lord. And so then we come to Mark 5, verse 21. This is the living and abiding uh, word of God. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who'd suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had. And she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up. She felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you. Don't you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. That as we come to this place this morning, we've come not to hear the word of men, but we've come to hear the the word of the living God. You are our creator. And, oh Lord, how we need to see the glory on this page of Scripture. So help us, we pray, uh, by your Holy Spirit. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we have been uh, taught by the Lord Jesus in these last couple of chapters about what the... Uh, what the kingdom of God uh, is like. And you remember the kingdom of God is uh, like a sower who went out to sow some seed and it falls on different kinds of soil. But it's hearing, with, uh, it's hearing that word with faith that produces great fruit. Uh, we heard that the secret of the kingdom of God, the secret that uh, is revealed in Jesus, has been revealed to his disciples that Jesus is the king and he has come. But it's a secret revealed to us not to be kept to ourselves, but we're supposed to make that manifest to the world that the king has come and his name is Jesus. And Jesus taught us that the kingdom uh, grows by the power of God, by the word of God, sometimes working so secretly and silently. But there's uh, uh, there's the uh, there's the. There's the blade, and then there's the ear, and then there's the full grain. But it, it works. And we learned that the kingdom starts small. It becomes like a large tree under which the nations, people of the nations, come and find refuge uh, in the kingdom of God. But what about the king of this kingdom? Well, we've seen, Marcus showed us about the king, He showed us that the king of the kingdom is the sovereign of the sea. Uh, Sovereign over creation, remember? Uh, Even the wind and the wind obey him. Uh, We saw that he is 
uh, sovereign over evil. That even the evil spirits have to, have to beg Jesus before they can do anything. He's sovereign of the sea and he's sovereign over evil. And we find out today that he is sovereign over life and he is sovereign over death. This is a matter of life and death. This is a passage about those uh, facing death and suffering. Uh, what would it have been like to be a disciple of Jesus? You ever wonder? There were, no, uh, you know, there were no Fitbits back then to keep track of all their steps following Jesus. There was no, uh, no frequent boater miles you know, back and forth across the Sea of Galilee. No point cards uh, or something like that. But Mark wants us to know uh, that they were on the move back across to the area of Capernaum on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee. And when they get there, again, a crowd gathers, verse 22, Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, uh, he fell at his feet. So we're introduced to Jairus, uh, who is called here a ruler of the synagogue. The word synagogue just means those uh, brought together. And of course, the synagogue uh, was that place where the Jews would come for, for teaching, for readings of the law and the prophets uh, and the writings. And we have found Jesus in the synagogue several times here in the Gospel of Mark. And you may remember uh, that the response to Jesus has been mixed in those synagogues. Mark 1.27 says they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region uh, of Galilee. So people were certainly talking about uh, Jesus uh, as he went from the synagogue to another synagogue. But we also found out in chapter 3, verse 6, that the Pharisees went out. This is after Jesus healed someone in the synagogue. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to uh, destroy him. And so being in the synagogue, some would lead to people telling others about him. Other times he'd be in the synagogue and they'd want to kill him. And uh, Jairus is a ruler of the synagogue, probably there in Capernaum on the western side of the sea. And so a ruler of the synagogue comes and he falls at the feet of Jesus like the demon-possessed man. And the woman will find out here in this passage with a flow of blood he also falls at the feet of Jesus. Clearly, Mark is showing here in Mark 5 that because Jesus is the king, this is, this is how people come before him. They fall before him. They bow before him, uh, seeking his help. This is how you come before the king. Well, what's the problem? Well, the problem here is not a stormy sea, not the oppression by the evil one and his followers, the problem here is death itself in Mark chapter 5. Uh, this is Jairus as he comes before Jesus and implored Jesus earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well uh, and live. Uh, it means, uh, at the point of death means, it could be translated, she's at the last, she's at the last extremity. Or she's at the, uh, the final stage uh, before, before death. And this man comes to Jesus. There's a problem, of course, we all face. Uh, the point of death comes to all. And the ruler here, he knew that only Jesus 
uh, could help. Here's a father pleading for the life of his 12-year-old daughter, a ruler in the synagogue, but like all, brought to his knees in the face uh, of death. One of the things you should notice, of course, is the great contrast here between what this ruler does and what happened in the last passage. Remember in the last passage, uh, after the demons are cast out of uh, this man and he's set free, the crowd that uh, becomes aware of it says to Jesus, depart, uh, leave us, please leave this region. But here at the beginning of this story, it's a man uh, saying to Jesus, please come, I need you, I need you, please come. Jesus and the crowd go, verse 24, and he went with him and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. That word throng means pressed about him. It's the same word used elsewhere in the scripture to talk about a wine press when you would stomp on the grapes. And so they're pressing in to Jesus. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all she had. She was no better, but rather grew worse. And so Jesus is on the way to help Jairus, uh, but on the way he's interrupted by someone else who is also in need. And so you've got a man facing the death of his daughter, and you have a woman who has suffered uh, much. Why has she suffered much? Well, the Bible tells us various reasons why. She's had a discharge of blood for 12 years, could be translated a loss of blood, Uh, She was subject uh, to bleeding uh, for 12 years. And so certainly there's an amount of physical suffering here. But remember, as we've been learning uh, in the book of Leviticus, and Pastor Andrew will be speaking about that in a, a sermon to come, I'm sure, as well. But if you were bleeding and had a discharge of blood, and if you had a discharge of blood for 12 years, that would mean that you would be uh, unclean and that these kind of things would apply to you in Jesus' day from Leviticus 15:25. If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, that's this woman, not at the time of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity, all the days of the discharge she shall continue in uncleanness. As in the days of her impurity, she shall be unclean. And thus you shall keep the people of Israel separate from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness by defiling my tabernacle that is in their midst. And so 12 years of bleeding, not only suffering physically, uh, but also unclean, separate, uh, no access to God. And also uh, in uh, teaching the difference between clean and unclean, everything she would touch, every person she would touch would thereby become unclean as well. And so she's separate. She's alone. She's suffering physically as well. More than that, the Bible says physicians did not help her. The Bible says no matter what they did, she did not grow better, but only but only worse. Luke says in his account of this gospel, Luke says she could not be helped by anyone. In other words, she was incurable uh, like the demon-possessed man. Nothing would help. Uh, The Talmud, uh, which is the collection of the opinions, teachings of thousands of Jewish rabbis, uh, actually gave 11 cures for such a woman. Do you want to hear some of them? Here's how it goes. If you were in this need as, as, as a woman in that day, take of the gum of Alexandria, the weight of a small silver coin, of alum the same, of crocus the same. Let them be bruised together and given in wine to the woman that has an issue of blood. If this does not benefit, take a Persian onions, three pints, 
Boil them in wine, give her to drink, and say, Arise from thy flux. If this does not cure her, set her in a place where two ways meet. Let her hold a cup of wine in her right hand, and let someone come behind and frighten her and say, Arise from thy flux. It goes on like that. There's a number of, a number of treatments. She didn't grow better. Uh, she only grew worse. And on top of that, the Bible says she had spent uh, all uh, that she had. Uh, she had nothing left. She had no more resources. She was helpless. Uh, she, was, she was without hope. Now, you just stop there, and the scene that is depicted for us, first of all, we see this scene of death and suffering, and immediately you need to be saying to yourself that all death and suffering in this world, in the world that Jesus comes into, all of this is the result of sin. There is no death, there is no suffering, there is no bleeding for 12 years if there's no sin in the world, if you and I aren't sinners. But because there's sin, uh, not our personal sin causes every consequence, but sin itself, the existence of sin in this world, means there's death, and then there's suffering, and there's women like this, who seem to be without hope. J.C. Ryle said this, How marvelous it is that we do not hate sin more than we do. Sin is the cause, says Ryle, of all the pain and disease in the world. God did not create man to be an alien and suffering creature. It was sin, and nothing but sin, which brought in all the ills that flesh is heir to. It was sin to which we owe every racking pain, every loathsome infirmity, every humbling weakness to which our poor bodies are liable. Let us keep this ever in mind, says Ryle. Let us hate sin with a godly hatred, death and suffering because of sin. So that, then, is the scene here. A man and a woman facing suffering and death. A well-known ruler and an outcast woman brought together by death and suffering and their need for Jesus. You know, we are all very different here at Faith OPC. We're all very different. But suffering and death faces us all. And before suffering and death, we are all brought helpless before Jesus. So it's a matter of life and death. We also find here a touch of hope and healing. Verse 27. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, uh, I will be made well. The word well there means I will be saved. So, so. In Greek, I will be saved. Now, the fact is that Mark draws a stark distinction here between a great crowd thronging and pressing and following Jesus. So they're already pressing against him, you know, shoulder to shoulder. Uh, and one woman who uh, came up behind, didn't want to be seen, and touched him. Um, Matthew and Mark say she touched the fringe uh, or, uh, uh, and the hem, it could be translated, of the, uh, of the garment. It could be she touched just the, uh, the, one of the four woolen tassels that hung from the hem of the garment. And the disciples, of course, point out the obvious to Jesus in verse 31, that the whole crowd was pressing against him. So clearly, uh, clearly uh, we're being presented here with the fact that there's two ways 
to press up against Jesus. There's two ways to get close to Jesus. And only one leads to peace. Uh, to crowd around Jesus is not the same as to touch him. Because <laughs> everybody was touching him in one way or the other. But this lady was touching him in, in hope of healing, you see. Right, one, we see the same thing going on continually in the Church of Christ at the present day. Think about this. Multitudes go to our places of worship and fill our pews. Hundreds come up to the Lord's table, receive the bread and wine. But if all these worshipers and communicants, of all of them, how few really obtain anything from Christ? Fashion, custom, form, habit, the love of excitement, or an itching ear are the true motives of the vast majority. There are but few here and there who touch Christ by faith and go home in peace. These may seem hard sayings, <laughs> writes this one, but, but they are unhappily uh, too, too true. So clearly there's, there's two ways to press in on Jesus. Uh, but this woman, we find out, has heard reports about Jesus. Uh, this is important. She heard reports about Jesus. Now, why she, would she have heard reports about Jesus? Because in the story just before, Jesus had just told a man who had met Jesus and been cleansed by Jesus to go home and tell. Right? And go and tell others. So here the gospel is saying, this is how this works. You come to know Jesus. You tell others about Jesus. Whether it's your children, your grandchildren, or your neighbors. And they hear reports about Jesus. And then when they are in need, they seek him. And so she'd heard reports and so she comes. Looking for help. Uh, this woman reached out in the hope of healing. That's what the Bible says, verse 29. Uh, verse 28, for she said, this is what she's saying to herself as she gets close to Jesus, said, if I just touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately, the Bible says, uh, the flow of blood dried up. She felt in her body she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me. Now think about this. Twelve years, uh, twelve years of, of suffering, uh, twelve years of being unclean, cut off and excluded, twelve years of pain, disappointment, twelve years hoping for something better, but only growing worse. Uh, what the Bible says, with one touch of Jesus, immediately the flow of blood Ceases, stops, and she knew in her body she was healed of her disease. The word disease there is the word she was healed of her scourge. Paul will use this word in Acts 22 when he, remember, he was being, he was being whipped with a scourge. She was healed of her disease, this thing that had been scourging her for all these years. And Jesus knew too, the Bible says. That is, he knew the touch of this particular woman who was reaching out in hope to him. Clearly more were pressing him, but this touch of hope was different. And this woman knew the healing power of Jesus, we're told. In the 8th century, the Venerable Bede wrote this. Some seeing, see not, and hearing do not hear. So also some who touch, touch not, when they approach the Lord, not in simplicity of soul, 
but in doubt or in duplicity. That is, you can come close to Jesus, ever pressing against him, but not truly touching him. You know how this happens? Well, uh, the author of the book of Hebrews tells us how this happens in the church. And it goes like this in Hebrews 6, verse 4. For it is impossible, in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who've tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they're crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. That's how it happens, the Bible says. These are not believers. These are not sheep who Jesus somehow misplaces and loses. The Bible says that cannot happen. Every sheep, you know, the Lord holds in his hand and no one can grasp them out. So who can this be? Well, it can only be people who, who are constantly pressing around Jesus in a crowd, maybe coming to church all their lives, but never actually touching him in faith. They're coming in, they're coming in doubt. I don't believe this, but I come anyway. They're coming in duplicity. They're, they're coming, in other words, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. No, I'm not. I don't believe this. I just come. There's a difference, the Bible says, between that and someone who, who reaches out in hope of healing from Jesus. Even if they don't know everything about Jesus. But they know, they've heard reports, and they know there's hope in him. Well, the point here is this. The experience of this woman is a picture of the experience of people throughout the ages that is weary, worn, suffering, unwell, lacking peace, years spent in search of relief, going from person to person, uh, place to place, maybe church to church, but nothing gets better, only worse. But now... As this woman hears of Jesus, comes to Jesus, now all is well. As she reaches out to touch Jesus, she came and sought him, she touched him, and she's made well. How? Why? Well, uh, we have here a matter of life and death. We have a touch of hope and healing. And uh, we also have a time for truth. And peace. Notice what happens here. And Jesus, verse 30, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd, uh-oh, and said, who touched my garments? The disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. Imagine yourself as this woman. You're unclean in the community, right? You're to be apart from others, separate from others. And here she is in the middle of this crowd. But you've braved the crowd. You've gone through years of disappointment and suffering. And you come to Jesus in hope. And now you've found healing. And if you could just, if you could just, you know, slip away before anyone notices what you've done. And you look around to see... Uh, who had done it. Why? I mean, why? Why not just let her go home? 
Why draw attention to one who clearly did not want to be noticed? And no doubt Jairus is thinking to himself, what about my daughter? Why? Why? Why point her out? Well, the Bible says, but the woman, verse 33, but the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him, uh, told him the whole truth. How much? Well, the Bible says the whole truth. Would have told him about her suffering, her disease, her family, maybe her loneliness, her desperation, her failed attempts elsewhere, maybe about the report she had heard. No doubt told him about her sin. The whole truth. Why she's there. Someone wrote once, When diseased sinners come to this, that they are content to do anything, to submit to anything, to part with anything for a cure, then and not until then, there begins to be some hope for them. Then they will take Christ on his own terms, when they are willing to have Christ upon any terms. You see, this woman was desperate for help. And whatever was needed, she came to Jesus and she told him uh, the whole truth. Of course, that's what happens when you, when you truly come to Jesus. The whole truth comes out. I am weak. I am helpless. I am a sinner. I've tried to save myself, she might have said to Jesus. I tried to save myself my own way. But I am at the end of me. And so I've come to you. I am unclean, uh, but, I, but I heard of your mercy and, and, and I sensed that there was hope. And I, I know things would be different now. I've touched you, but now you know what I've done. And I had no right to approach you. I should, uh, uh, I, I, I should have kept my distance from you. And he said to her, verse 34, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. It's actually, it's actually, it's... Uh, could be translated, go into peace. Be healed of your disease. Your faith, says Jesus, has made you well. Not your touch. There's no room here for, um, uh, you know, for some kind of superstition uh, here. No one took Jesus' garment and uh, started a holy relic business in Capernaum. And said, let's, let's get this going here. We've got, a, uh, we've got a big money maker on our hands. Your faith has made you well. Faith was the instrument of being made well and going into peace. Though she came in fear and trembling, go into peace and being healed of her disease. Writes one of all the Christian graces. None is so frequently mentioned in the New Testament as faith. And none is so highly commended. No grace brings such glory to Christ. Hope brings us an eager expectation of good things to come. Love brings us a warm and willing heart. Faith brings an empty hand, receives everything, and can give nothing in return. 
No grace is so important to the Christian's own soul. By faith we begin. By faith we live. By faith we stand. We walk by faith and not by sight. By faith we overcome. By faith we have peace. By faith we enter into into rest. And Jesus says, go into peace. Your faith has made you has made you made you well. All don't miss this. All will be healed through faith in Jesus. Some in the scripture we find are healed now in history as a picture of of eternal healing. But all, all will be healed by faith in Jesus when he returns. No one escapes suffering and death in this life, but through faith uh, in Jesus, there is peace, there is healing, and we are made well. And all the crowd gathered there that day, needed to know it. That faith makes well. Faith in Jesus. Luke has an actually a, a helpful uh, note that we don't find in Mark about this story. Luke writes this at this point. And when the woman, and when the woman saw that she was not hidden, ah, couldn't be hidden anymore. When she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people, why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. Luke helps us see there that she knew she couldn't be hidden anymore, so she had to come. She had to come and she had to, she had to declare in front of all the people why she came to Jesus in the first place and how she found healing. In Jesus, the crowd needed to know, friends, our faith is not simply personal and private. If you know the healing power and transforming grace of Jesus, he wants you and I to proclaim it and confess it openly. Why? That we might glorify him. Some Christians want to be private Christians. It's as if they don't want anyone else to know what Jesus has done for them or how great and glorious it is. They slip in and they slip out of places of worship across the country, never wanting to be seen, never wanting to talk to others about what Jesus has done. Why is that? There are no private Christians in the Bible. There are only people who have seen something of the glory of God, who have been, had Him touch us and heal us, and people who want to tell others what He's done. They want to testify to the glory of Jesus. After all, this is what Jesus says in Matthew 10, 33, that if we acknowledge Him before men, He will acknowledge us before His Father who is in heaven. We're meant to speak out for Christ and not think Jesus wants us to simply be alone with Him. We must confess one to another, and that is exactly what this woman does. Your faith, says Jesus, has made you well. Not faith itself, but faith alone 
in Christ alone to heal her. This was the touch of faith. Faith, we've learned, as small uh, as a mustard seed uh, is still faith in Christ. How strong was this woman's faith anyway? I mean, was she reformed? I mean, could she sign the, you know, did she fully understand the confession and the catechisms? We want her to. Because they're a reflection of biblical truth. I mean, how much did she understand of the doctrine of justification by faith alone, by which the church stands or falls? How informed really was her faith? How reformed was her faith? Well, there was much room to grow. After all, isn't that what the Christian life's all about? Growing in grace and in faith in the Lord Jesus. It is not trust, friends, in the greatness of our faith that saves us or makes well and gives peace. It's not the greatness of our faith that saves, but faith in our great Savior. The touch of faith the look of faith, the cry of faith. And he, of course, then gets, gets all the glory. Well, this woman who knew the mercy of Jesus was not meant to slip away unnoticed, and she was publicly acknowledged as healed of her disease. She was an outcast no more. And it was not the touching of the garments, but it was having faith in Jesus that brought peace to her soul, said J.C. Ryle, Great is our Lord's experience in cases of disease. Great is his sympathy with his sick and ailing members. The gods of the heathen are generally represented as terrible and mighty in battle, delighting in bloodshed, the strong man's patrons, the warrior's friends, the savior of the Christian is always set before us as gentle, easy to be entreated, the healer of the brokenhearted, the refuge of the weak and helpless, the comforter of the distressed, the sick man's best friend, and is not, says Ralph, this just the Savior that human nature needs. The world is full of pain and trouble. The weak on earth are far more numerous than the strong. Friends, have you stopped hewing out cisterns for yourself that hold no water? And have you come to Jesus, uh, the fountain of living water? Well, you may have noticed that um, Jesus addresses this woman in a way that uh, is only found here in all the New Testament. How so? And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Nowhere else in the New Testament does Jesus address one as daughter. I mean, was, he, was she young? Well, no, she'd been bleeding for 12 years. I mean, uh, maybe she was the same age as Jesus. Maybe she was older than Jesus. But before the king, oh, instead of outcast, ah, hopeless, helpless, no, through faith in Jesus, she's now a daughter of the king. Go into peace. There's a hymn in our hymnal. It's actually listed first in the end of the hymnal because uh, uh, 
Uh, alphabetically, it's first. But it also is a wonderful hymn that uh, reminds us um, it should be first. It's called A Child of the King, and it goes like this. My father's own son, the savior of men, once wandered o'er earth as the poorest of them. But now he's reigning forever on high and will give me a home in heaven by and by. I once was an outcast, stranger on earth, a sinner by choice and an alien by birth. But I've been adopted, my name's written down, an heir to a mansion, a robe and a crown. I'm a child of the king, a child of the king, with Jesus my Savior. I'm a child of the king. That's what the, um, what, that's what the touch of faith, reaching out to Jesus, brings to us. We are children of the King. May that be so for you, and may that be so for me. Let's pray uh, together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this uh, glorious passage of Scripture. Lord, we prayed uh, in our service already that uh, you would show us, indeed, the glory on every page. Oh, Lord, help us today as we go home uh, to see the glory on this page of Scripture the glory of our, of our Savior who in the face of death and suffering heals, forgives, restores, and brings uh, into His family those who reach out in faith to Him, the only one who can save. Help us, Lord, today. Not to be those who simply press in and throng in as the rest of the crowd around Jesus, never truly touching Him by faith. But help us, Lord, today to see our need of Him, that we would cry out in faith to Him today. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.